for that. Listen, if uh, go to Matthew chapter 27. If you are not in a fellowship Bible class, number one, you need to be. Number two, I would, uh, I would strongly urge you to get in one this Sunday. Um, this lesson uh, in the series Overcome in the Life of Joseph, um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to hit us right where we live. And so I hope that you will be there. If you're not accustomed to showing up around here at 945, this Sunday would be a great Sunday to do that. Get better. Hey, by the way, by the way, we get to fall back an hour on Saturday. So, no excuses. Amen. No excuses for not being here at 9.45. All right? You get an extra hour of sleep. So, I probably shouldn't have told you that. But uh, anyway, take advantage of that. Use that. Be here at 9.45. You're going to like it. And then... Brother Todd asked me to really um, let you know about, remind you about the Perrys being here on Sunday night. Um, that is, that's going to be awesome. Six o'clock, not 6.30, six o'clock Sunday night, free Southern Gospel concert by the Perrys. If you've not ever heard the Perrys, go to Google, go to YouTube, type in Perrys, Listen to them. They, they are absolutely incredible. And we're going to have a great time Sunday night at 6 o'clock. I hope you'll be here. We do these things for you. Um, so be here on the Sunday night at 6, and I know that uh, you will enjoy that immensely. Matthew chapter 27 tonight. How many of you have ever heard a sermon without words? Anybody ever heard a sermon without words? Let me look here. That's the right answer. Because you can't hear a sermon without words. But you can see one. And that's what I want to preach to you tonight, uh, to, on tonight is a sermon without words. You can't hear it, but you can see it. Matthew chapter 27. Now, some of you may be thinking at this point, ah, I know what the preacher's going to preach on tonight. He's going to preach on having a good testimony. He's going to preach on preaching a sermon uh, with, with our lives. And I could do that. Uh, there's no doubt about that because that's what our testimony is. It is a sermon without words. But am I going to preach on having a good testimony tonight? With the Lord's help, I want to preach a sermon with words on one of the greatest sermons ever preached without them. So let's read in Matthew 27. This is, of course, in relation uh, to the crucifixion. And this is really a part of the crucifixion that few people ever pick up on. It's, it's usually when, when we preachers are preaching on the crucifixion, we stop short of this or maybe we just kind of uh, skip over it but it's a really significant act that took place that made possible some very incredible things for us 
as believers. Look at it, Matthew chapter 7, or 27, or verse 50, and Jesus, whoops, that's the wrong one. Let's get over here where we're supposed to be. Verse 50, Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And that's usually where we stop. Jesus said, it is finished. He gave up the ghost. Done. But look at verse 51. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain, or in two, from the top to the bottom. And the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. The renting, or the tearing of the temple veil, was one of the greatest sermons ever preached without words. That act of God, as I said a moment ago, was very, very significant. And it speaks of three things tonight. It tells us, this sermon tells us three things tonight. Number one, it tells us that a barrier was removed. A barrier has been removed. If you know anything about the Jewish temple, then you know that it was almost like the signal that was sent out by its design and by its intent was that people just needed to stay away. And there were courts that were set aside for the Gentiles, and there were, were courts or areas that were set aside for the women. There was a brazen altar there upon which sacrifices were made. There were steps that, that led up to the temple. And then once you got inside, there were two compartments or two rooms that comprised the inner part of the temple itself. There was first of all what was called the holy place, the holy place. Only the priests could enter the holy place, but only in a certain way and at certain times to do certain things. It wasn't a place where the average citizen, where the average Jewish person could go. The priest went in for them. No one ever just hung out in the holy place. You came to do God's business and then left. It was not a place for leisure. Important work was being done there, performed by men who had been specifically set apart by God as priest. So that was in the first, the first, the larger part of the inside of the temple was the holy place. It was the bigger part of the two. But there was a second place called the holy of holies. The very center of Jewish worship took place in that small area. And we're not going to go back tonight and read Leviticus chapter 16. 
But if, if you go home and, and you read it, all the details are spelled out there. But I'll give you a, a summation of them very quickly. Again, we're talking about the place beyond the holy place called the Holy of Holies. And here's some things you need to understand about the Holy of Holies. Only one man could enter the Holy of Holies, and that was who? The high priest. There were priests, then there was a high priest. He was the only one who could enter the Holy of Holies. He could only enter on one specific day of the year, which was what day? The Day of Atonement. That was set aside on the calendar, the Jewish calendar. It was, it, it was the only day that he was permitted to enter into the Holy of Holies. He had to wear special garments. He had to bring the blood of a goat with him. He had to sprinkle the blood of that goat on the mercy seat, which was the lid of the Ark of the Covenant, that contained a copy of the Ten Commandments. What else was in the Ark of the Covenant? Aaron's rod that budded and what? And manna. So there were three things that were contained in the Ark of the Covenant. Copy of the Ten Commandments, Aaron's rod that budded, and manna. The lid that sat on top of the Ark of the Covenant was called the mercy seat. And the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies and he would apply the, the blood of that goat onto the mercy seat. If anyone else besides the high priest ever entered the Holy of Holies, they would be struck down. If the high priest entered on any other day other than the Day of Atonement, he would be struck down. If the high priest came without the blood of a goat, he would be struck down. So again, everything about the whole system screamed, stay away, do not come near. You are not qualified to come on your own. It was as if the temple itself was a giant roadblock making sure that no one could come into God's presence uninvited. It was like you had to be special in order to get to God. As if the Jews needed any reminding of the prohibitions of entering the Holy of Holies God separated it from the holy place with a veil. So you've got the larger part of the, uh, of the inside of the, the temple, which is the holy place. And you've got the brazen altar and the, the lampstand and things of that nature. But Rick, there's somebody wandering right out in the foyer there. Would you see what's going on? Um, so you have the holy place and then the veil... And then beyond the veil, we have the Holy of Holies. And so the veil that we just read about in Matthew chapter 27 is the veil that we're talking about. And there are, are various numbers used 
as to the size of this veil. One Jewish writer um, stated that it was 60 feet long and 20 feet, uh, or 60 feet long and 20 feet wide. There are also varying numbers as to its thickness, but uh, from what I could ascertain, it's, it was anywhere from four to six inches thick. And so you've got this veil that, that goes 60 feet. These tiles are two feet. So you can do your own math. So you've got 60 feet, 30 of these tiles, 20 feet, which is not quite as high as the, the ceiling here. So this is a big place. This is a big veil. The Jewish historian Josephus said that two horses tied together or tied on either side would not be able to tear this veil. It was that solid. It was that thick. It was, it was constructed in such a manner that he said a horse on either end could not exert enough force to rip this, this veil. And so think about that. If horses couldn't tear it, then there's no way that any man or any number of men could have torn it. That's why Matthew specifically says that it was rent, that it was torn from the top to the bottom. Here's what that tells us tonight. It was solely an act of God. God did that. God tore the veil. He rent the veil from top to bottom. It was God who removed this formidable barrier between man and himself. And when he did, he opened a way into his presence. So this barrier that had separated the ordinary Jewish person from the presence of God has now been removed. And here's the second teaching of the renting of the veil. A way has been opened. Go to the book of Hebrews chapter 10. Now I hope you can appreciate the significance tonight of the renting of the veil because now it has opened a way and here's how Paul describes it in Hebrews chapter 10 beginning in verse 19 having therefore brethren boldness to enter into the what the holiest Remember I said that there was only one person that could go into the holiest place, into the holy of holies. That was the high, the, the high priest. But now the veil has been rent. The veil has been torn that separated man from God. And now Paul says in verse 19 that we can have boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil that is to say his flesh. 
Do you have any idea what it would be like to gain an audience with the President of the United States? And think about that. You're, you're a nobody, I'm a nobody from nowhere. We live out here in Podunk Hall or Kansas, out in the most remote part of, of the state. We're the stepchildren of the state of Kansas out here. So think about gaining an audience with the President of the United States. What would it be like to actually enter the Oval Office and the President say to you, what can I do for you? Regardless of what you think of our current president or any of his predecessors, you have to admit tonight that would be an awesome privilege. Would you agree? Absolutely. To have an audience with the president of the greatest and most powerful nation on the face of the earth would be incredible but it's not likely to happen simply because we have no standing with the president only a privileged few ever get to actually sit in his presence and I'm guessing very few if any of us will ever make that list but do you realize that as believers, we have an even greater privilege than being in the, pre in the presence of the President of the United States? We are privileged to enter the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. By His death on the cross, Jesus opened what Paul called a new and living way. By his death on the cross, Jesus removed the barrier that for centuries had separated God and man. And so now, as long as we go in the name of Jesus... We can go directly into the presence of God at any time, as often as we like. And we can carry with us any petition that we desire Him to hear. Church, here's what that means tonight. That means that there's no more need for an earthly man to serve as our priest. There's one mediator, Paul said, between God and man, and that is the man Christ Jesus. Listen, we don't have to go through a man who then goes to God for us. That's how it used to be in the Old Testament, and in some denominations even today, that's how it is, but that's not how it is according to the Word of God. You don't have to come to me and then I go to God on your behalf. No, no, when Jesus died on the cross, he opened a new and living way. 
And when God rent the veil of the temple from top to bottom, it was signifying the fact that now we are our own priest. And we can go to God on our own. That's, that's, that's part of what we believe. The Bible teaches it's called the priesthood of the believer. That we now go to God, not because we deserve it, but because Jesus has made it possible through his death. On the cross. I saw a Forbes article that listed the world's most important people, and on that list it had names like Barack Obama and Bill Gates and Warren Buffett. It had the Koch brothers, it had Rupert, Rupert Murdoch, Bill Clinton, and, and many other people that I've never even heard of. But I didn't take a lot of time to look for my name or your name. Because I didn't figure we probably made the list. People who make lists like that have a decided advantage over the rest of us from an earthly standpoint. Rank does have its privileges. It really does. When these people talk, people listen. They go where they want to go. They have access to the best of everything that this world has to offer. I'm talking about things like tickets to sold-out events like Game 7 of the World Series. They have the best seats in the finest restaurants. They have the best rooms in any hotel in the world. Their every word is quoted in the press, and that's how the world rolls. Rank has its privileges. And when you're that rank, then you can do whatever you want to do. You've got money to do that. You have access to do that. You have the wherewithal to make that happen. But let me tell you something tonight. You and I can go somewhere where many, if not most, of the people on that list cannot go. It doesn't matter what their name is. It doesn't matter how much money they have. It doesn't matter what they've accomplished. It doesn't matter what position they hold. It doesn't matter how much pool they have. None of that matters when it comes to entering God's presence. All that matters is that you have been washed in the blood of Jesus. All that matters is that your name has been written down in the Lamb's book of life. All that matters is that you are a child of the King. And as long as you've been born again, listen church, you can come from anywhere you like, as many times as you like, and stay as long as you like, and your Heavenly Father will never turn you away. You see, the renting of the veil at the death of Christ was not just an insignificant event. It wasn't just something, that, something cool that happened. No, no, it was one of the greatest sermons ever preached. 
without words. And its outline is this, a barrier has been removed. A way, a new and living way, Paul said, has been opened. Again, those famous people can get tickets to anywhere they want to go. They can go to the Super Bowl. They can go to the best Broadway plays. They can, they can, they can have seats on, on platforms at national conventions. But listen tonight, we have an all-access pass to the throne of God. Listen, it doesn't get any better than just does not get any better than that. We can enter the presence of God because a barrier has been removed and a way has been opened. And then let me share this with you. We'll be done. A hope has been confirmed. A hope has been confirmed. Still in the book of Hebrews, go to Hebrews chapter 6. Does this make sense tonight? Hebrews chapter 6. Verse 17. Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability, that means unchangeable, the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable or unchangeable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Which hope, verse 19, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. These verses declare in plain language that we have an anchor for our soul that cannot be moved. The songwriter of old wrote, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Let me stop there and I, I did a little, little meditation and, and, and thought and study on the lyrics of this song that, that's so familiar to us. And sometimes we sing these things and we, we really don't even pay attention to what we're singing. For example, that phrase, I dare not trust the sweetest frame. What in the world's he talking about? He's talking about a picture frame? Is it not sturdy? Is it not reliable? No, he's talking about the word, the using the word frame there as in being framed, as in being cheated, as being lied to. 
And the reference there and the meaning there is the lies that Satan can bring to us that look so good and so real and so believable. And the songwriter said, I can't trust those things. I dare not trust even the sweetest, the most, the most beautiful, the most inviting, the most tempting, the, the one that looks the most real. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. And then he went on to write this. When darkness seems to hide his face, I rest in his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, here it is, my anchor holds within the veil. Which hope we have is an anchor of the soul, Paul wrote, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. My anchor holds, he said, within the veil. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. I rejoice tonight that my hope of heaven does not rest in my own ability. Lord willing, Sunday morning I'm going to preach on knowing where you're going. I'm going to preach on the assurance of salvation. But I'm glad tonight that my assurance of heaven does not rest in what I can do. It doesn't rest in my ability to do right, because I don't always do right. It doesn't rest in, in my ability to remain strong, because sometimes I'm weak. It doesn't rely on, on rest in my ability to resist temptation, because I don't resist every temptation. It doesn't rest in my ability to have strong faith, because sometimes my faith is weak. My hope is in Jesus Christ, who is the anchor of my soul. Come what may, he never moves. He's immutable. It's one of his characteristics. He's immutable. He doesn't change. He cannot change. He never changes. He is forever the same. When Jesus died on the cross, the Father preached a sermon without words that spoke volumes. When he tore the veil of the temple from top to bottom, he shouted, a barrier has been removed, a way has been opened, and a hope has been confirmed. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Take advantage of the opportunity that you have to enter into the Holy of Holies. And thank God every day we don't have to go through a man anymore. 
that we can go to God on our own. I, I wouldn't want to sit behind that little wall and listen to all the evil, wicked, mean, bad, nasty things you've ever done. And then tell you, oh, well, I can take care of that. Because that's a lie. I can't take care of that. I'm glad today that I can go right to the throne of grace on my own. Amen.